All right. Turns out I can't even grow weeds, so we had to resort to Photoshop. That's the way that went down. Hey, as last, uh, last week, you'll see me up here for a few weeks because I'm about to go on Baby Watch 09 uh, in my house. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for cheering, but would you pray? That would be, that would be great, too. Uh, this is baby number three, so uh, it'll be a few weeks before I'm back up here. But we're continuing in this, this series, Green Thumb, and what we've been looking at is how Jesus told this story where he compared something that people in his audience at the time understood really, really well, which was farming or gardening. He compared that to something they didn't understand too well, which is basically how the word of God, truth, interacts with people's hearts. And last week I took a survey, every service basically, to find out um, which service had any gardeners in it. Apparently none of us are. There's not a botanist one in this church, but we at least get a lot of this stuff in theory, okay? And so just to review, Jesus told a story. A farmer went out to sow some seed and the seed landed in different places. Some landed on a path or a sidewalk, some landed on rocky places, and and some landed among thorns, and some landed among good soil. And then Jesus went on to explain, thankfully for everybody scratching their head going, why are we talking about gardening and farming? He went on to explain exactly what he meant. So let's just review the cast of characters, okay? The farmer equals God, the seed equals truth or Jesus, and the soil always equals our hearts. And Rewind the tape a couple weeks ago, week one of this series, we learned that a lot of us sometimes have hearts that are much like a sidewalk, just covered over in concrete. And a lot of us, we pray this simple prayer all the time, dear God, no, amen. And then we walk away, right? That's just how we, how we kind of roll with that. And Jim gave us a couple questions, one pretty easy and the other very, very difficult to walk out of here with. He said, number one, are you looking for God's will for your life? Well, here we are, so to some degree or the other, we're probably looking for God's will for our life. But the tougher question he left us with was, are you open to God's will for your life, even if it turns out to be different than what you hoped, imagined, or prayed that it would be? See, that's a tougher question, isn't it? And then last week, we learned that some of us, were pretty receptive to the truth until things get hard, right? Until things get difficult, until um, Jesus or the truth intersects or conflicts with our lives, our business, our sexuality, our reputation. And when we're forced into these value decisions between what we said we valued versus what we really value, our choices reveal who or what we really value. So we get tripped up, we stumble, we falter, we fail. But what we learned last week was... That kind of adversity actually has the potential to deepen our faith, to drive the roots of our faith down deeper into Jesus' love and truth. And we looked at this guy who that was very, very true for. His name is Peter. And in case you were wondering about my kid's uh, sunflower garden, it's doing pretty well. Here it is. Um, Even with all it's been through, (laughs) it's still there. And the truth is, even with all you've been through, you're still here. Now, we get to our next situation, our next kind of soil. So if you've got your Bibles, go to the same place we've been for the past couple weeks, which is Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. If you don't have your Bible, pull out your program. You can follow along there. It'll also be on the screens. But just to review, Jesus has said, A farmer went out to sow some seeds. Some of it fell on a path. The birds came and ate it. Some of it fell among rocks. It grew up really quickly. But then the sun came out, scorched it, and it withered. And here's where we pick it up in verse 7. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. And then if you want the explanation, go down to verse 18. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in, choke out the word, making it unfruitful. So again, this is not a hard-hearted person. This is not the dear God, no type of situation. This is a person who receives the word, accepts the truth, and again, it starts to produce results. It starts to grow, just like last week. The problem is, is that truth is not the only thing growing in this soil. 
There's something else growing right alongside of the truth. And Jesus lists three different types of thorns or weeds that tend to grow in our hearts alongside the truth. The first is worries of this life. The second one is deceitfulness of wealth. And the third one's pretty broad. It's desires for other things. Now, here's the thing. We're, we're going to look at only one part of what Jesus mentions here. Today, we're just going to talk about worry. We're going to talk about the worries of this life. Now, just quick survey by show of hands. How many of you are worriers? Yeah, don't worry if anybody's looking at you. All right, it's okay. I, <laughs> me too, all right? May, maybe it'd be helpful... Maybe it'd be helpful for me to define what Jesus is talking about here, okay? Worries of this life would be best translated cares of this world. So cares or worries equal anxiety. That It's a care that brings disruption to the personality and the mind. And In other words, this is the anxiety that keeps you up at night. This is the anxiety that causes people in your life to go, who are you? This is the kind of anxiety that has great effects on you. And we're going to talk more about that in a bit. But Jesus goes on to say what the anxiety is about, though. He says it's anxiety or cares of this world or life, which means a temporary period of time or age. In other words, temporary. That's what Jesus is getting at. Paul had a friend, this guy who wrote most of the New Testament. He had a friend named Demas, who he mentions three times in the New Testament. The first two times, he just mentions that Demas was with him on his missionary journeys. The third time, Paul says, Demas has abandoned me because of the cares of this world, the cares of this life. So Jesus is saying having an extreme level of anxiety over temporary things will inevitably have an effect on you. It will, and here's the effect, choke the word. Literally, it means to suffocate, overpower, or crowd out. And interestingly enough, if you trace the history of our English word worry, originally it meant to suffocate or choke or tear at the throat. That's where it came from. And that choking, that suffocation will have consequences. Here's the consequences. Making it unfruitful. So this truth, this word will not produce in you what it was once capable of producing. So this is an extreme amount of anxiety or concern for things that will not last at the expense of things that will last. Let me say it another way. This is a care for the temporary at the expense of the eternal. This is care for the temporary at the expense of the eternal. Now... Don't get caught up in thinking I'm talking only about the huge, monumental, life-altering things that we worry about, the terrible situations that we're concerned about. That may be you. That may be what's going on in your heart, your life, your mind right now. But for a lot of us, you know what it is? It's the day-to-day stuff. It's the quote-unquote little things in life that we worry about, that we get anxious about. You see, that phrase that floats around our culture, don't sweat the small stuff, it's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? See, it's precisely the small stuff that causes a lot of us the most anxiety. So let me ask you the question again. Anyone in here a worrier? Anyone in here ever get anxious? Anyone in here having trouble sleeping lately? Me too. Want to know what I'm worried about right now? We're about to have nickel baby number three. I'm moving from man to man to zone defense, and I don't know how to play that. You know, I don't know what, I don't know what that looks like. It's, this baby's going to arrive at the most busy time of our lives. I'm worried about how we're going to make the right value decisions, how we're going to continue to be good parents to our other two children. I'm worried about, because I've been down this road, are we ever going to get to sleep again? Probably not. I know what that looks like, all right? So what are you worried about? What are you worried about? What's going on in your mind, your heart right now, big or small? Doesn't matter. Write it down. Get it in your brain at least. Because here's the thing. Jesus is not going to let us off the hook today because Jesus had a significant amount of things to say about this thing called worry in our lives. 
If you've got your Bible, slip back over to Matthew chapter 6, just a few pages behind where you were. Um, we're going to start in verse 25. This is towards the end of Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. We looked at this last fall, uh, but we didn't really get to this part because here's the thing, okay? Jesus is going to talk at length about worry. And before we look at it, you need to know that no one knows your heart better than Jesus. No one knows what you're carrying around like Jesus. No one knows the extent to which you churn over things and rehearse things in your mind like Jesus. No one knows the debilitating effects that worry is having on your heart and in your life and on your relationships like Jesus. So here's the thing. i got to warn you. What Jesus is going to say here as we dive into this, within the context of what you're worrying about and within the context of what I'm worrying about is going to sound so flippant. It's going to make you mad. It really, really will. If you brought a lot of anxiety in here today, what Jesus is about to say is going to tick you off to no end. And just remember, he said it, not me. So here we go. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you wear. Is not your life more important than food and your body more important than clothes? See, Jesus is saying here, don't worry about the things in your life that sustain your life. Well, that sounds kind of like something we should be concerned about, doesn't it? And don't forget... He's not talking to us. He's talking to his original audience first. He was talking to people who, where their next meal was going to come from was a real concern. Probably not the biggest concern for most of us. Whether the well would be dry tomorrow was a real concern. Clothing on their bodies was a real concern. It was something they worried about at length. Not as much for us. See, I imagine what Jesus said that day on that hillside really angered some people in the crowd. I imagine some people were thinking, if not saying, as they were gathering their things and their kids to walk off the mountainside, you got to be kidding me, Jesus. Have you not been paying attention? I mean, I don't know if you remember this or not, Jesus, but that whole promised land thing got taken away from us. So we don't have land to grow our food anymore, Jesus. So food is something we have to worry about. And I don't know if you've been paying attention, but we live in the Middle East, Jesus. It's a pretty volatile climate. Water's no guarantee from day to day. And I don't know if you've been paying attention, Jesus, but we're being taxed 80 to 90% of our income, which means we don't have a lot of expendable income to go buy clothes for our kids. We've got to make their clothes out of limited resources that we already have. How can you say, Jesus, not to worry about these things? This is all we worry about. Exactly. And just as everybody's getting ticked off and red in the face, Jesus doesn't do any better because he launches into a mini parable here. Look at this, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. Well, they don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And I've got to be honest with you. If I'm sitting there on that day, this is not helpful for me. I'm going, hey, um, Jesus, that's really nice. That's great for the birds. Not not working so well for me. In fact, I think your teaching is for the birds, all right? Uh, Here's the thing, though. Watch what Jesus is about to do. Don't look at the next verse yet. Just just look at me, okay? Jesus is going to say something in the form of a question. It's really a statement in the form of a question. It's a rhetorical question. He's going to say something here that's undeniably true. All of us will read this and go, oh, yeah, that's true because you can't be a sane person a logical person and not say this is true you don't have to follow god believe in jesus to know what jesus is about to say is true the disconnect is is that so many of us don't live like we agree with this next statement so many of us don't live like this is true so here's the hinge pin of everything jesus is going to say today look at this who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life anybody anybody See, we all go, well, right, right, we, we can't. 
Now, before we start applying this to us, stay in that context. Stay in the context of food, water, clothes. Stay in the brain of the people who were listening the first time Jesus said this. So let me ask it in the form of some questions, all right? In what way is staying up at night worrying about whether the well will be dry when you go there in the morning going to affect whether the well is dry or not? None. In what way is being anxious, getting sick to your stomach about whether the corn you planted a few months ago is going to produce a crop tomorrow when you go out to the field? Is that going to affect whether that corn actually grows or not? No. In what way is being all torn up about whether tomorrow's the day when your kids are going to put their clothes on that you've patched and sewn and repaired so many times and tomorrow's going to be the day where their clothes are too thin, too frail, they literally won't stay on their little bodies? In what way is worrying about whether that will become reality or not going to change whether it becomes reality or not? None. See, here's the problem. It's universal to mankind. It's universal to every age, every person who's ever walked the face of this earth, every generation, every context, every country. Here's the truth, okay? Worry is living under the illusion that I can control the outcomes of my life by simply worrying about them. Worry is living under the illusion that I can control the outcomes of my life simply by worrying about them. We live under this illusion that if I put forth enough mental energy, if I can lose enough sleep, rehearse it enough time, go through enough contingency plans, if she says this, I'll do that, and he'll do that, and then we'll do this, and then that'll happen, and we work through it. In what way will that actually affect the outcomes? The truth is it won't. It can't. See, one of the biggest problems with worry is simply that worry is not helpful. Worry is only detrimental. It's only detrimental to you, it's only detrimental to me and everybody that we care about the most. You see, it's a lie that we can quickly recognize when we put it out here like this, as plainly as we're putting it out here today. The problem is, is that most of us don't live like we recognize the lie. And then Jesus just dives right back into parable mode. Look at this, verse 28. And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon, the most wealthy king ever, in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So again, it's a pretty simple illustration. Sounds pretty trivial and trite. But then he ends it with another very significant principle. Did you catch it? O you of little faith. See, Jesus is saying there's a significant connection between our level of worry and our level of faith, and they always move in opposite directions. As worry goes up, faith goes down. As faith goes up, worry goes down. Think back to the parable of the sower. The weed, the thorn of worry, crowds out, suffocates, chokes the life out of the seed of faith. It overwhelms it. That's what it does. Then Jesus moves on. He just will not let this go. Look at verse 31. Don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. See, when Jesus says pagans, there's some history of that word. Pagan actually originally meant just someone from the farm. Like people from Nebraska. Think, think that way, okay? Um, so, so next time you think cornhusker, think pagan. They're the same thing. All right? <laughs> I'm actually telling the truth in some regards here, okay? The pagan... Pagan really did mean from the farm, and here's why. Because, because when, when Christianity started, it started in cities, and then it made its way out to the countryside. So the people on the farm heard about Jesus after the people in the city. So they were the ones still worshiping false gods and idols, which was exhausting because there was a different God. There was a different idol for everything that you had great concern for in your life. So because you needed your crops to grow, there was a God for rain and fertility, and you had to keep that God happy. 
There was a God for the sun, and because you needed that God to stay happy and not scorch the earth, but actually help the earth grow, you needed that God to stay happy. And there was a God for your cows and your sheep to make sure that they kept having babies and they didn't get sick and die, and you had to keep that God happy. And so your whole life was living in a spin cycle because the gods were volatile. They were easily angered in their thinking, and so you had to sacrifice constantly to these gods so that you could keep everything you cared about most alive in your life. And Jesus says, don't be like that. Because you're valuable in the one true God's eyes. You don't have to live your life anxious and terrified about your next meal or your clothes. Pagans do that sort of thing. So Jesus closes out, wraps up this teaching this way in verse 33. He's he's been telling us what not to do. Now he's telling us what to do. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In other words, set your heart, set your minds straight. Get things prioritized right. Put your minds and your hearts on the things that are eternal, the the most important, more important things first. Then the temporary, important, but less important things can be dealt with in the proper context of what's most important. Translation, you can sleep at night. Anybody in for that? Let's take a time out here. Let's make sure we understand what Jesus is not saying here, okay? Jesus is not saying don't take care of your family. In fact, the rest of the New Testament teaches that anybody who doesn't take care of their family is like a pagan. Jesus is not saying don't plan for your future or just live a lazy, haphazard life. Jesus is certainly not saying don't take any action to provide for the needs you have in your life. If you're thirsty, by all means, go to the well tomorrow. If you're hungry, by all means, tend your garden. There are heavy, important, weighty things in your life. Take care of those things, but do not live under the illusion that worrying about those things will control the outcomes. He's saying, don't get this upside down, don't get this backwards, or your faith will be crowded out, choked out. He's saying, if you let the seed of anxiety, the weed of anxiety, grow in your heart, it will choke the life out of you. Anybody's life attest to that? It will. And it will prevent you from producing the kind of fruit God wants to produce in you. It absolutely will. See, here's the problem, okay? Our hearts are naturally bent towards valuing the temporary over the eternal. Our hearts are naturally inclined towards being more concerned about things that are less important compared to the things that are more important. Let let me say it this way, okay? Your child's batting average is relatively important, but not compared to the condition of his heart. Which one are we spending more time developing, though, in our kids? Your 401k, that's pretty important. I think we'd all agree it's not as important as your marriage. Which one gets more attention? The next step in your career, it's important, not as important as your integrity. Which one's getting sacrificed? Your wardrobe, relatively important, not compared to your character. Which one are you working on more? See, let me illustrate the problem even further. That's all I've been doing so far, just so you know. I'm just saying here's a big whopping problem, all right? Jesus says, back to the parable of the sower, worry will ultimately make you unfruitful. Now, what does that mean? Well, biblically speaking, the Bible teaches that when the word, truth, Jesus, invades our hearts, we receive him, that seed of truth begins to change our hearts from the inside out. It grows and it produces a crop. And the metaphor that's typically used to describe that crop is Fruit. You may have heard it called before the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 outlines the fruit of the Spirit for us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I want to leave those on the screen for a minute, okay? Keep reading over and over those. Let me ask you a question. 
as one worrier to another, one anxious person to another. Let me, let me ask a, an honest question. We need an honest answer, okay? When you're really worrying, when worry gets out of control in your life, do you see any of those things in your life at the same time? I'll just talk about me, because when I'm really anxious, I am not a loving person. In fact, I can be a real jerk. Just ask my wife. When I'm anxious, joy is the last thing you would see in me. When I'm churning over something I can't control, I have no peace. When I'm stressing over something obsessively, I have no patience. When I'm up at night thinking about something I want to change, but I can't, I'm not a kind person to work with the next day. When I'm feeling like I can't do anything except worry about something, I'm not even looking for opportunities to show goodness to other people. When I'm living under the illusion that I can control the outcomes of my life by worrying about them, I'm not being faithful to God and His promises. When I am wrecked by anxiety, I am not a gentle person. When I'm so overwhelmed by worry I can't stand it anymore, I do not show self-control. I try to fix everything my way. Anyone else or is it just me? So, So what do we do? I mean, that's the question, right? I mean, what do we do? How do you pull the weed of worry out of your heart? Let me make the problem even bigger, okay? Think gardening. I was out at the community garden just a few days ago, and I was looking around at the places that some of you have staked off, and you've been, you've been treating that soil and churning that up and digging that up and nurturing and gardening and tending and doing all that stuff. And then I look at the rest of the field that hasn't been touched. You know what it's covered with? Weeds. Now... Do you, know, do you know how much concern and gardening and tending and just nurturing went into making those weeds grow in that field? None. See, here's the terrible thing about weeds. You can leave a field untouched, unguarded, untended, and weeds will naturally overwhelm it. Same with our hearts. Your heart, my heart, left unguarded, untended, uncared for, unnurtured, naturally grows weeds that overwhelm it like worry so like a good farmer doesn't just sit on their porch and hope and pray for rain and a good crop but he actually physically gets up goes out in his fields and pulls weeds and while he's doing that he hopes and prays for rain we're all called to do the same thing in regards to our hearts we don't just hope the weeds will go away we have to take steps to pull them the bible calls this walking in step with the spirit so what do we do with this I mean, if worry is this damaging ultimately to who we are and disruptive to the most significant and eternal things in our life, the things we care about most, what in the world do we do with it? Well, interestingly enough, we've got to go back to our friend Peter that we looked at so much last week. If you've got your Bibles, go to 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. These two verses we're going to look at are verses that are very worth memorizing in your life. All right, They're very helpful. Here's what Peter has to say when addressing worry and anxiety, because Peter was a worrier to the nth degree. Look at this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. You know, that first phrase is not a popular one in our culture. Humble yourselves, or literally submit yourselves. You know why that's not popular? You want to know what the root of the weed of worry is? Pride. In fact, I could make the argument that the root of everything that gets out of control in our lives is pride. It's living like we're God, like we can control everything in our favor. When we're living under the illusion that we can control the outcomes of our lives by worrying about Him, we're in essence playing God. We're stepping into His role, taking His seat. So Peter says, the first step out of worry is, number one, realize you're not God. It's fundamental. It's really important. 
We talk about that every Friday night right out there in the lobby for shift. Every Friday night because that's our most fundamental problem. We think we're God. So we humble ourselves. Well, to humble yourselves means to put yourself under something. Under what? Well, Peter says God's mighty hand. See, we say it this way all the time. Uh, Two ways to live your life. Two deals on the table. You can keep going your direction or you can put yourself under God's authority as the one who came up with the idea of life, made it, articulated it. Let's go with his deal, right? So ultimately, putting ourselves under God's mighty hand is a picture of trust. Because here's the truth, okay? I assure you, God's hand is mighty. Mighty enough to crush you. Mighty enough to absolutely obliterate you but what does peter say is next you put yourself under god's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time in other words it's trust that that hand that's mighty that could trust that could crush you is attached to a god who doesn't want to do that so we trust the real god that's step two you got to realize you're not God, and then you got to trust the real one. See, worry, living under the illusion that I can control the outcomes of my life by simply worrying about them at a fundamental level is rooted in pride and lack of trust in God. And then Peter moves on. He says this, cast all your anxiety on him, which literally the best way I could say it is this, to throw the full weight of all your worrying about on him. Unload on Him. Give to Him everything that's keeping you up at night, affecting your most important relationships, everything that's crowding out your joy, your peace, your patience, your kindness, everything that's got you so wound up that you're no longer even recognizable as you. Your kind words are scarce. Your self-control is non-existent. And everything that you're obsessing about that you cannot change has you spinning out of control. Everything that's giving you fits because you can't stop it. Throw the full weight of that on Him. Why? Because it's heavy. It's too heavy. It's too heavy for you. It's too heavy for me. Proverbs 12, 25 says it correctly. An anxious heart weighs a man down. Isn't that true? See, that thing that you're feeling right now, that thing you wrote down, that thing that you physically can feel in your body because you're so racked with anxiety and grief and worry, that thing that is suffocating you, that's tearing you up inside, that's just stealing your joy. Peter says, cast it on him. And Peter didn't make this up. He had heard it before. Because Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and what? Heavy burdened. And I'll give you rest or peace. What does that really look like? Well, we've looked at two things it looks like. Number one, we've got to realize we're not God. Number two, we've got to trust the real God. See, those are things we actively do. We get out in our field and we start pulling weeds. Those are things we do. But the next part is for us to desperately desperately pray for God to do what only he can do which is not only to remove the weed of worry out of our life but what we desperately need him to do is to replace it with something else so here's the third thing ask God to take it away ask him to take this worry away Uh, Philippians 4 6 through 7 says do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God and here's the trade and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, time out for a second. There's something we got to understand. There's a promise that's not in that verse. The promise is not that the circumstances that are causing you to worry will be taken away. There is no guarantee that whatever it is that's causing you to worry will be removed from your life. The promise is the worry can be exchanged for peace. Right? 
in spite of the circumstances. That was the reality of the guy who wrote its life. His name was Paul. See, Paul had this thing in his life. He, he said it tormented him. He called it a thorn in his flesh. We don't really know what it was. All we know is that he begged, he pleaded with God to take it away, to take it out of his life. And you know what God said? No. But my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. So let me ask you a question. Does exchanging your anxiety and your worry for peace sound like a good deal to anyone else? Me too. See, Jesus said, literally, if you'll just let go of your sinful pride that's destroying your life, and you'll humbly admit that there is a God, but you aren't Him, and if you'll come to Him, He invites you to throw the full weight of whatever's tearing you up, breaking your back, weighing on your soul on Him. Jesus says, come to me, I'll I'll lighten your load. You are not strong enough to carry what you're trying to carry around, so give it to me. And Peter says, you can trust Him to do that. And let's be honest, a lot of us don't trust Him to do that. We don't, or we would have done it. Peter says you can trust him to cast it, to throw it on him because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. Because this is not some invented false idol sitting on someone's shelf, some angry God that you have to appease so that he doesn't smite you. Because the God we worship is a mighty God who loves you and wants good for you because he makes a better God than you do. He makes a better God than I do. We, it may sound like a cheesy kid song, but it really is true. He has the whole world in his hand, and guess what? He ain't anxious about it. God does not chew his fingernails, wring his hands, or pace the floor of heaven. He doesn't. He's a mighty God who is in control. And guess what? He cares about you, and he cares about me. Do you know how much? Do you know how much he cares for you? See, he demonstrated it. He didn't just say it. He demonstrated it. That that while you and I were still playing God, while we were still all wrapped up in our pride and our sin and our shame, while we were right in the middle of all that, Jesus died for us. Romans 5.8 Do you know how much he cares for you? That God made his son feel the weight of our sin and gave him up for us all. Romans 8.32 Do you know how much he cares about you? That God took his son, literally, who had never sinned and made him to be sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God so that on Christ, the solid rock, we could stand unashamed before the one true, holy, perfect God. That's how much. See, I don't know what you're feeling the weight of right now. I just know it's probably really heavy. I don't know what's keeping you up at night. I don't know what you wish you could change or what you're trying to control. I don't know what is threatening your joy or crowding out your peace or suffocating your love. I just know our God is mighty to save. And He proved it by sending His Son to a cross, bearing the full weight of our sin, becoming our sin. And He invites you and me to throw all of our sin, our anxiety, our worry on Him. And He will bear it today. That's what He's invited us to. And sometimes we just need physical reminders of that. And so there may be something going on in your heart right now where you're going, I want want to give it to him. I want to throw it at him. I want him to take it. And so sometimes what helps is to physically do something. So in the next few moments, we're going to sing a song which says he's mighty to save. And so maybe we just sing that song as loudly as we've ever sung anything. Maybe we sing that song going, God, I hope you're mighty to save. God, would you be mighty to save? God, I know you're mighty to save. I believe you're mighty to save. And would you help me in my unbelief? 
Or maybe we need to get up and move from our seats and go to that station back there or that station over there and take a piece of bread and break it. And remember that his body that physically became our sin was broken because of our sin so that you and I wouldn't have to hang on to our sin. Take some juice and drink it and remember his blood that was poured out to cover our sin because of our sin. So that again we could stand before God unashamed. Or maybe some of us, what we really need to do is we need to, during this next song, just make our way down front over here as just a physical way of saying, I'm bringing with me all my anxiety, all my worry, all my fear, all my shame, and I'm leaving it here, God, and I'm trusting that you'll take it. And here's the thing. We'll all have to pray that prayer again today and again in the morning and again tomorrow night because here's the thing about this weed called worry. It grows really, really fast. And so we have to go out there and pull weeds and at the same time beg God, would you kill this? Would you kill this thing called worry in my life? And would you do what you said you would do and replace it with with peace and with rest? Would you be who you say you are today in my life? So in the next few moments, let's respond as we need to respond. Let's pray. God. You know, I, honestly, I'm not sure I can come up with anything harder to let go than the things we worry about. God, we really, really have some heavy stuff in our life that is just choking the life out of us. It's stealing our joy. It's stealing our peace. It's hurting our relationships. It's hurting the things we value most, and we can't let go of it. So God, as we desperately try to let go and pull these weeds out of our heart, would you yank these things out of our heart? And would you give us that peace that transcends, surpasses all understanding that Paul talked about? And would you reassure our hearts like you did to Paul that your grace is sufficient for us? And would you remind us that your son did invite us to come to him, to cast all our burdens on him that are weighing us down? And would you please make us feel the weight of that physically just be removed from our body and our minds and our hearts today? It's in your son's beautiful name. Amen.